Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we're not experts. We're just two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Dori. Kate. Can I tell you, I mean, I did already tell you, but can I tell you and our listeners what happened to me this week? Yes. So as previously mentioned, I believe I was able to attend the Emmy Awards. Oh, yes. Because my old husband, Anthony King, was a nominated person, which is super cool. Congrats to him. Mm-hmm. Didn't win, but that's not what it's about. But the coolest part is that I met a Forever 35 fan. A e- fan came, A fa- first of all, just saying a fan is crazy. <laughs> a fan? A uh. fan of this podcast is a real thing. And hello to Jessica, who came up to me and introduced herself and was so lovely and so nice and was like, are you Kate Spencer? And I was like, yes. <laughs> And and she was just so kind. how your voice gets deeper when you get approached by a fan. I was like nervous and sweating and I was like, it's so weird 
I'm podcasting. It's crazy. But I was so excited. It was so cool. And, and she was just lovely. And so I just wanted to say hello to them. And it was, you know what? That was just a treat. And then I was like bragged to my husband. I was like, oh, I know you're nominated for an Emmy, but uh, a podcast fan <laughs> just came up to me. Um, and then Ron Howard walked into our row. How was getting like glammed up? It was cool. I have to say it it was cool. Um and that is kind of the weirdness of Los Angeles is that occasionally when you work in the entertainment industry, you get to go to these crazy things. And I had Glam Squad come and do my hair and makeup because I I just I, And we should also say this that that is not a sponsor. They are not a sponsor, but if we welcome you <laughs> Give us a jingle, a ringle and a jingle because um, I used – I've used Glam Squad a couple times. Mm-hmm. They come to your house. Um, it's not something I would do for like every day but uh, when we had like a big event like this, yeah. I've done it um, once before. And it was nice because in the morning I like worked out and I was like, how am I ever going to be fancy? Like, mm. I, and, then, and then getting my hair done and getting my makeup professionally done was such a treat. And then when I put my dress on – and I wore jewelry that had belonged to my mom, which was really kind of meaningful. Um, she had these earrings that she had bought because she saw Demi Moore wear them, oh. like in 1993 or oh my something. Gosh. Um, and this beautiful silver bracelet that has just been sitting around. I don't even know if she ever really wore these earrings. But I was like, you know what? My mom would freaking love that they're getting worn at like an awards, a you, Hollywood awards you show. You honored her memory. I really did. I was like, I'm going to bring you with me because my mom loved celebs, loved People Mag. So she would have gotten like a kick out of the whole thing. Um, but that was really fun to get to put her jewelry on. It looked really nice. I, I, um, I rented the runway for my dress, also not a sponsor, but I felt really good in my dress. And then my feet were, were hurting. Okay. I took a lot of steps to try not to make them hurt, but they hurt. Mm. But you know what? It was worth it. Yeah, it was, it totally was cool. Worth it. I got to eat uh, a cheese, uh, not a cheeseburger, a grilled cheese sandwich that came in a cup of tomato soup at the party after. Ooh. Yeah, you know there was like fun hors d'oeuvres, <laughs> like uh, tiny sliders and truffle fries and champagne. Like it was just fun. That kind yeah. of stuff that um, I never indulge. You know, we are never normally. I'm like screaming at my kids, and like last night I did do a lice check on their heads. So that is my normal life. Normal life is checking for lice. But anyway, it was a blast. It was really cool to um, meet somebody who listens to the podcast. And it was it was really also very meaningful to kind of get to go and celebrate my husband who's works really hard and um, totally, you know, he and his colleagues um, are awesome. So I was happy for them. That's so nice. And, you know, I got to spy on celebs. Totally. Like Did you see anyone picking their butt? No. These oh. people all looked amazing. <laughs> the only person honestly picking their butts was probably me. But I did choose my dress so I could wear my normal underwear. Smart. And bra. Yeah. Um, uh, no. Everybody looked – they were all looked gorgeous. Like Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones. We were in a, lot, a mass of Game of Thrones. Peter Dinklage. Like when you walked in, it was just like, ooh, all these Game of Thrones people. Everybody looked hot and cool and – yeah, you know, they were. They looked very famous. I was watching on the TV. Go on. And I did notice so many women wearing like five inch heels, you, like like celeb really women high or... heels, like presenters. Yeah. And I was like, what? That's 
That's so high. It's very high. Like if you ever um, observe Kristen Stewart in great detail, which we know I well, – we might know that I do because I love Kristen Stewart. She takes her heels off often. Mm. Like immediately – like she'll, she also brings sneakers to red carpets. Um, I don't think people last in them very long. That makes sense. Yeah. I think it's like for pictures mm-hmm. because they, they mm-hmm. look quote unquote good mm-hmm. and then I think they're off. Thank you for puncturing that myth for me. Well, I, I, will, appreciate it. I will tell you another anecdote, yes. if that's okay. Please. Once when I worked um, as a production assistant on an event that Oprah Winfrey was involved in, she would wear flats and her like her publicist would carry her heels and then she would go do the event, put the heels on and then take them right off. So it's I don't think it's like celebrities are all good at walking in five-inch heels and us regulars are not. It's just that they have them on for like 30 seconds. Yes, yes, and make us feel like, oh, wow, they do that. All right. Yeah, that's my my hunch. I feel better now. That is my hunch. Um, So, you know, you've been barfing a lot, but is it getting better? You know, these last couple days, like yesterday and today, I have been feeling a little bit better. What a relief. Um, Tuesday, I barfed. I believe I saw you on that day. Yes, because that was the day I went to the doctor. Yes. Um, and so I was like, and I, I, Monday and Tuesday, I felt not, yeah. not good. Um, and then Wednesday, yesterday I felt a little bit better. I didn't do that much. I laid around mostly. Um, and I, and then last night, like I had been waking up like every hour essentially. Um, and then last night I only woke up twice, Good. had some saltines and went back to bed. Um, so that has been – and I haven't really been feeling that nauseous today. So, you know, I don't know if this is just like a temporary blip or if, you know, I'm I'm the – or if the worst is over. They do say that like weeks eight and nine are the worst. Oh, interesting. And I was nine weeks yesterday. Okay. So it's possible that I'm sort of on the other side of the, of the horribleness. Um, now, that being said, I feel like I've made the mistake before of being like, I'm better. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then <laughs> getting like smacked in the face by reality. Mm-hmm. So I am still trying to take it easy. But I did sit outside at a Starbucks today before our recording. I bought a Spindrift. You know, Starbucks sells Spindrift I now? I did. Yeah. Um, I bought a Spindrift. Spindrift. Um, I sat outside, I did some work, and I was like, I'm okay. That's great. I'm okay. Oh, that must feel like a relief. Have <sighs> you kept a tally on how many times you've thrown up? Um, Is that a weird question? A little bit, but I'm still curious. Have I kept a tally? I don't – it's probably been about between 8 and 10. Okay. That's a lot of throwing up. But there were like there were some days where I threw up three times Ugh. in a day. Oh, so maybe it was more. I don't know. Right, you didn't like keep it in a diary. No, didn't no. keep it in that vomit tracking app that I should make. Oh, I know that's disgusting. Why am I going down this? <laughs> why am I going down this path? I don't. know. I guess I'm wondering because I can so clearly remember in both my pregnancies the instances when I was sick. Like once I did, was walking down the street and just threw up. So, but it wasn't, but I wasn't, it wasn't a regular occurrence for me. And I think for you or for other um, women who are pregnant, sometimes it's every day, multiple times a day, Right. you know? Yeah. So, you know, I do think the the meds I'm on have helped, although I've still thrown up since I've been yeah. on the meds. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been two and a half weeks of, I first threw up two and a half weeks ago. And like, since then it's just been 
not great. And so I'm hoping that maybe the worst is over. You've gotten a lot of reading done. I have gotten so much reading done. I mean, I haven't, you know, as discussed, I haven't been doing that much. So I'll just say some of the things that I've read in case people want to read them. Okay. Also, um, I read Curtis Sittenfeld's new book of short stories, which is called You Think It, I'll Say It, which I enjoyed. Great. Okay. Um, I read Nell Scovell's memoir about Hollywood, which oh, is called Just the Funny Parts. She is a very interesting person. She, you know, she worked for Letterman in the 80s. She, like, she's just, she's been around the block as a writer in Hollywood yeah. and has seen a lot. And um, I thought her, I thought her book was very interesting. Cool. And I would like to actually get her on this here podcast. Yes, ditto. Um, a listener recommended a, a detective series um, written by a gentleman named Robert Galbraith, which is actually the pen name of J.K. Rowling. Oh, cool. I love J.K. Um, and I guess they released the first book in the series. It's the Cormoran Strike books. Um, he's the detective. I guess they released the first book in the series supposedly without telling telling anyone that. Like, yes, I remember when that allegedly happened. Allegedly, even her publisher didn't know. Uh -huh. um, and then, you know, who knows? I don't know if the first book sold really well anyway. I don't know the history. Um, but at some point, she was like, guess what? It's me. <laughs> um, also a dream guest for this podcast, J.K. Rowling. Totally. Did you um, like them? I did like them. Ah. Yeah, I enjoyed them a lot. I, I read two of them. I'm on the third. They were readily available at the library. And um, the fourth book in the series, like, just came out this week. Perfect for you. Great. Um, I also read the first two of three books by Elizabeth Chadwick about Eleanor of Aquitaine. So you read approximately six books in a week? Um, yeah, something like that. I mean, that is amazing. maybe like eight days. That is amazing. Yeah, but there were, like, yesterday, I basically read all day. Okay. That's like all I did. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I'm reading well, today. Well, if you don't feel good, like, that's at least a productive way to not feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I didn't feel like watching TV. I was into my books. And I just, you know, it's it's like... It it's, is what it is. It is what it is. I did watch some TV in this, in this course of okay. um, sickness. I watched that new show Forever with Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen. I did not love it. Okay. Fair. Um, I also watched a few episodes of a show called Midsummer Murders, which is a long-running British cozy mystery television show. I'm just show. chuckling because you texted me that you were watching it and the premise was like the most Dory thing I had ever heard. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a cozy mystery British TV show, you know, set in a little village that weirdly has like a murder every week. <laughs> Mysterious. <laughs> oh, and I also just quickly want to plug another podcast that I'm hosting. Oh, get in there. It is called That Moment. It is very different from anything I've done before. Um, it's more of like a narrative like radio podcasts, like with segments and stuff. That's cool. <laughs> um, and there's only six episodes. I think one of them is out. Or by the time this airs, there will probably be two out. But the first one was about conflict zones. Um, so give that a listen. I had a lot of fun working on it. And 
I think the the finished episodes are, are very good. And they're produced by former Forever 35 guest Jane Marie. That's awesome. And, I haven't listened yet. I can't wait to tune in. And her production company, Little Everywhere, which is really, really good. And she has a new podcast coming out about MLMs. Oh, I can't wait to listen. Which I'm so excited about. Um, can I can I tell you – I was going to save this as a surprise, but I just want to – I'm not good at saving surprises. Can I tell you what book I'm reading? Yes. Maisie Dobbs. <gasps> what? Oh, my God. I started Maisie Dobbs. And I've been trying to – I've wanted to tell you so many times, but I'm like, no, Kate, just wait. Just wait. Hold it until oh you finish. But gosh. I haven't finished. I'm only like 27% in. And I am really enjoying it. <gasps> And it's like Yay. not at all what I expected. And then I've gone deep Googling World War One, right? Which now I want to read a, a book about because I don't know anything about World War One. So Dory, I, I love it. I ha- I'll tell you, it's just unfolding. Yes. And it seems what I like about Maisie Dobbs, which I I think you, obviously you're savvy to this, is that it feels like it's going to be a very basic, straightforward mystery. Mm. But now it's like unfold, like almost like a flower blooming. All Indeed. these layers are coming out. Mm-hmm. And I love the way it's written. And I also love kind of the no-nonsense Maisie character. Yeah, she's real plucky. Yeah, she is plucky. Mm-hmm. So um, I, took I also your love her like rags to riches. You know what I mean? Like pull herself up by her bootstraps. She really has a story. <laughs> she's got, I forget what they call it, like a, a, a rich woman who's her sponsor. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's like nothing I've ever read before and I'm really enjoying it. Oh, yay. That makes me yep. so happy. Because we have had so many listeners write us who have been like, Maisie Dobbs. And you've been like, ugh. Okay. Well, I've just been like, what? Am I ever? And then I was looking for a new book and I was like, why don't I read like the official Forever 35 book that I haven't yes. picked up yet? So I just want to say thank you for turning me on oh, to Maisie Dobbs. I'm so glad you have another like 13 books ahead of you. I know. You. I actually felt very excited <laughs> about that. So I, I would like to get through them quickly and we'll see how it goes. Great. All right. Well, should we take a little break? Let's take a little break. All right. Okay. 
God, like get this off of me. No, thank <laughs> once you. Once you once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see how also, it could like, be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So, this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm I hearing mean, those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be Redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one -on -one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got what? to tell you. Okay. Yeah. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie also from Quince. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Okay. It, it, like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I, I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic 
whether it's winter or, or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. So Dory, yes, we receive a ton of questions, especially since you announced that you were pregnant about pregnancy, family planning, IVF, wanting kids, not wanting kids, um, and also being really stressed having kids. Mm-hmm. So we thought we would maybe uh, take today's episode to answer some of those listener questions. Yeah. And we have two here that kind of address the idea of worrying about planning ahead and trying to figure out how you're going to juggle it all. So I thought I would read the first one. My question for you is this. How do you balance planning ahead with anxiety-inducing worry, anxiety that seriously impedes all my self-care efforts? Here's my situation. My husband and I are considering trying to conceive in the next few months. We currently live in the Middle East originally from the U.S., and in two years, my husband will have to move to another country for one year while I stay where we live now. Our plan, in theory, is to try to get pregnant soon so that we would have a one-year-old when he leaves. We'd be able to afford a nanny, one major benefit of being abroad, and our parents would plan to visit often. We are both ready to start a family, and while we are still relatively young, they're 31, we'd have to delay getting pregnant for at least three years if we don't try now. Are we crazy to think this is feasible? In trying to decide, I think ahead to the various factors we should consider— How will I handle working full-time with a kid while my partner is away? How would this affect our hypothetical kid? Will our marriage suffer? As you can imagine, this line of thinking can quickly devolve into tail-spinning anxiety about our future. Where is the line between planning ahead and worrying? Mm. Well, my my advice... I have a I have a stance on this question. Lay it out, lay it out for us. My stance is to start trying. Oh, because of your own personal experience. Because of my own personal experience, and because of the hundreds of people I've heard from, um, from you know, from my other podcast, a lot of people uh, look and look. I'll preface this by saying, I hope you get pregnant the first month you're trying. At first, that first, that first. I hope one. you get pregnant the first second you try. Like I. I genuinely hope that for you. However, a lot of people don't get pregnant the first time they're trying. I didn't. Um, And, you know, you say our plan in theory is to try to get pregnant soon so we'd have a one-year-old when he leaves. That may or may not happen. You might as well start trying now and find out if you can get pregnant. Um, Because if you have issues, 
then you're going to have to figure out how to deal with those. And the sooner you figure out that you have an issue, the sooner you can fix it. So that I would I would in part recommend starting to try just for that reason alone. The other thing I would say is it seems like you are very stressed about the kind of in-between state that you're in um, and just not having made a decision seems very stressful to you. And I think I think it, it would be – I think you'd feel better if you decided to try um, because that would at least or, – or decide not to. Um, but I – you know – I have a very I have a very particular point of view about this. Sure. Um and so you know I will fully admit that. And and I also think that of course it is going to be hard um especially when your husband is away. Um I think you know I think you guys will ha- should try to go to couples counseling to talk about this and to figure out if this is feasible. Um you know, if he's really going to be gone for the entire year, how are you going to navigate that? I have a I have a very close friend whose um, husband lives abroad, and they have a f- four month old, and they see each other like every six weeks. It's really hard. I mean, she's making it work, but it's very hard. Um, so I'm not going to try to like sugarcoat that. Yeah, I, I worked full time. Uh, my husband was away for three months for work. I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old at the time, and I was working full-time. And 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 had some financial – one, I had child care, which is incredibly important, uh, daycare and preschool. And then I had some um, financial um, means of like having a babysitter come once a week to just kind of give me a break. But I would consider your finances always in having a kid uh, or deciding to have a kid um, – and and factor that into like what kind what will you need and will your marriage suffer uh, maybe because marriages aren't always like at a, in an A plus place so it's it's just a matter of I think of making sure your communication is very open and you are both able to articulate your needs and I will say one thing that I've had to consider a lot um, in having a partner who travels a lot is imagining how they're feeling because when my husband is away while I'm at home with our kids I'm always like Ugh. like he, he's living like he's having a great life and he and while you know he's like off away traveling for work and meanwhile like he actually is lonely and misses us so understanding that you both it's not easy on either end even if they they aren't the main caregiver during that time um and you know um I do think to anybody who's wondering, like, is now the right time to have kids? I think there are obviously like signs that it might not be. Like, if one partner doesn't doesn't want children, or if you know you're in uh, financially, it's not the right time, or, or work wise, or whatnot. But um, I kind of am on the same side as you, Dory. Hmm. I think there's never a good time. Yeah, and there's y- never a perfect time. No, and you can worry so much about the future, but you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yep. You, you know, I, 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 I go off the example of my mom's own illness, but it was like one day my mom was totally healthy, and the next day my mom was dying of cancer. So it's like, who knows? Like, let's hope. Obviously, that doesn't happen to anybody, but it's just you cannot predict the future. You don't know what's going to happen with with your careers, with your jobs, with 
the political climate of the world with a natural disaster. I mean, there's millions of things that could happen. You could win the lottery. I mean, who knows? So I, I think trying to fretting about the future and figuring out the right time is a pointless exercise because truly we don't really – and like Dory said, you don't know what's going to happen when you start trying. It took me um, about 10 months to get pregnant with my first kid, 8 to 10 months. I can't remember exactly. And and I was just you know trying every time I was ovulating every month. It can take a while. So um, – Go, you know, if you if you're both on board with having kids and you feel secure that you can make it work, I would say just get get going. Sure, you another question? Yeah. This is one about having kids already. Okay. Hello, Dorian Kate. I have a two and a half year old and am pregnant with my second child due in a few months. As it is, I already don't get to practice as much self care as I would like. And it has recently dawned on me that the little time and freedom I do have is about to totally go out the window when baby number two is here. Do you have any tips for somehow carving out time for yourself when you have two young kids? Um, and then this person goes on to just kind of describe the specific circumstances of their life. They work full time. They're juggling their kids and their partner is working 14 hour days. That is tough. So any tips or tricks on somehow finding time for self-care while juggling kids and work? I will say in my own personal experience, and this is not particularly helpful, the first few years with very small children is very hard. I found it to be very hard. Obviously, I can only speak – Dory and I can only speak to our very specific circumstances in terms of like who our partners are, the fact that we have partners – our bank account, blah, 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 right? But I found it to be really challenging. And there wasn't a lot of room for self-care because I was barely sleeping and barely finding time to take care of myself. So I would just say like going into the experience, know that it might be really hard to find time for that period and to know that you will come out of it as they age. And my other thought would be maybe readjusting um, expectations and goals when it comes to self-care. Mm. Like, can self-care be 30 minutes of TV? Maybe even on your iPhone while you're nursing a baby? I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's what it was for me. You know, like, f- maybe finding times... But having two small children, it's like the time of multitasking. So maybe it's listening to a podcast that you like while doing the dishes. Like, it is, it is going to be that level of stuff because mm-hmm. it's really hard... It's just really hard and you're going to be doing a ton and possibly exhausted. I would say just like setting some boundaries for yourself so you don't – like setting a bedtime for yourself because you might be getting up feeding a child. I don't know. Just those little things, trying to set little things for yourself um, so that you do – you don't, you know, feel like you're getting swallowed by it all. I obviously don't have kids, um, but one line in this did stick out to me um, where she is describing her personal situation. She says, I would love to have way more than a couple hours per weekend to go do the many things I used to enjoy pre-kid. However, I also know that my husband works his butt off and deserves breaks of his own, so I don't want to just stick him with the kids and split. I think you can stick him with the kids and split for a couple hours every weekend or a few hours every weekend. Yeah, I do too. Like he doesn't see his kids ever during the week he can spend time with them on the weekends listen to marriage counselor dory (laughs) i mean yeah like i you know i remember 
remember when Priyanka was talking about um, how she gets like Saturday mornings to herself? Yes. Her husband also works like 14-hour days. He's a director. And that is the that is the time that she takes for herself. And it's really important that you take time for yourself. Um, and it's important for your husband to bond with his children. Yeah. And I would say too, like, ask your husband, hey, like, hey, what do you need? Like, do yeah. you need time on the weekends? Maybe he doesn't. I don't know if you've had that conversation. Like in my in my house, my husband works out at 730 on a Sunday morning and then I go to yoga on Sunday mornings and then I take the afternoon and like plan my week in my journal as I drink tea. And that works for us. Yeah. But yes, I do think you you can take a couple. Obviously, you're not going to be able to cram all the things in. Yeah. Cram one of the things in. Yep. You know, pick one, hide and read or do a yoga class or whatever. It sounds like you all already getting that. You want more. I see. They want more than, than that. Yeah. I, I think it might just, you know, you might have to reevaluate your expectations, especially early on. Or talk to your husband and figure out how you're going to make it work and figure out if financially you can afford, like, bring it on a babysitter for one whole Sunday a month so you can get some time either away out of the house or maybe also so you guys can get some time together mm. because that's a relationship that you still have to foster. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like you're going to be focused on so many other things, work, long hours, kids. So don't forget to for you guys to devote some time to canoodling. Amen. You know? Yeah. Um, here's one for you, Dory. Oh, okay. I mean, technically also me. Words cannot describe how much I love y'all and your podcast. Feelings mutual. Now that Dory has officially graduated from CFP, can you explain what that is again, Dory? Uh, California Fertility Partners, which right. is my reproductive endocrinologist. And what they mean by that is that you are now seeing just your OBGYN. Yes. You generally, I guess you generally see your RE for the first, I think it varies, but I think generally like the first eight to 10 weeks. Um, depending on your doctor, and then you get passed on to your regular OB. I didn't know that until I met you. Um, they ask, can you talk about self-care whilst, whilst or whilst? Whilst. Whilst. I can never remember. Whilst <laughs> pregnant. I'm super early in my own pregnancy and would love some pro tips. This this listener used y'all and whilst, so I cannot figure out where they are from. I know. Um Pro tips. I feel like you're more of a pro than I am. Well, we're both pros in our own way. Um, I mean, also, you were working full-time when you were pregnant. Ugh, so you might have some times, yeah. some tips that are more applicable to a broader range of people. Um, I would say, oh, man, tips about self-care. Well, the first trimester when you're super early, to me, that is like survival mode. Mm-hmm. I do think one thing that we've talked about a little bit is talking to people about letting people know because I was such a mess and I, I wasn't telling people. So I was like very mysterious. I, I used to do an improv show <laughs> during this time uh, and it was very late at night. It was at 11 o'clock at night Oof. and I wasn't showing up, but I wasn't telling my improv teammates why. <laughs> but it was because I couldn't stay awake. Yeah. And I felt, you know, I think if you're communicative, if you feel comfortable talking about the fact that you're early on in your pregnancy or like, you know, I shared an office with two men and I had my legs were swollen through my entire pregnancy. And I was like, listen, I'm going to lay with my legs up the wall. Just communicating what's going on, I think, is very key. 
Um, and that can kind of help your self-care because once you once you aren't like shrouded in mystery and feeling like you have to hide everything that's going on, you can be like, hey, I'm really struggling. I'm sick today. Yeah. I don't feel good. I'm really tired. This is why. Um, so I think just owning it can be very powerful and then really honoring what your body needs. Don't push it if you can't push it. You know, just really – I think sometimes it can feel very frustrating in pregnancy because you're like, I used to do this and now I can't. But pregnancy doesn't go on forever. You know, hopefully if all goes well, it lasts for nine and a half, ten months, whatever it is, and then you're done. So just know, you know, be gentle with yourself. And then, of course, like if you have the means, prenatal massage is really delicious. Get that body rubbed. I got a prenatal massage. It's the best. It was amazing. <laughs> it's never too early to start getting that prenatal massage. I mean, she was a little horrified when I when she asked how far along I was. And I was like, almost nine weeks. And she was like, oh. Because, you know, the, the like super paranoid yes. thing is to wait until after your first trimester. Yes. But I Googled it. The American Pregnancy Association says that prenatal massage is safe in any trimester. There we go. So I was like, it's okay. Um so, yeah, so that was great. If you have, again, as Kate was saying, if you have the means to do that, I highly recommend. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the thing that's been tough for me as someone who is, like, a, a person who is, like, on the go a lot or was, like, not being able to do stuff is hard both physically and, like, psychologically because I feel useless even though I am growing a human inside of me. <laughs> You are. Um, so I know I'm not useless, not. but it's hard to be like, I just don't have the energy to like work on this thing or stay up past 930 or see friends or, you know, just like, yeah, that's or okay. even go to like, I haven't been to the gym in three weeks. Like, you know, just like all that stuff that I used to do, I've just had to be like, nope, can't do it. Um, so, so that's, that's all, that's all I got. Um, and you know, hopefully as this pregnancy progresses, knock on wood, I will have more pro tips <laughs> for you. <laughs> right now I have amateur tips. Those are not amateur. Those are just the early time tips. Okay. Seriously. All right. I mean, you know, pee a lot. Don't eat before bedtime because you're going to get major heartburn, or I did. You know, my doctor did say something to me on Tuesday that I was like, oh, okay. She was like, the baby gets what it needs. Ooh. Yeah. She was like, the baby gets what it needs. You really just have to worry about not getting dehydrated. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. You can do that. Totally. With and that I, coconut water I got you from Costco. Exactly. And she was like, you really do want to avoid having to go to the hospital to get fluids because – she was like, they can't do it outpatient now. They would have to admit you, and it's a whole thing. And she was like, just try not to get dehydrated. <laughs> I did have to do that in my second pregnancy. Ooh. I had like food poisoning. Ooh. And I had to go and get liquid and they, you know, get medication to stop throwing up because I was so dehydrated. Then a week later, I fractured my ankle. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, second kid. Um, how about this question? Dory, can we do this one? Yeah, you know, this was this was something that came up in um, the Excellent Adventure Facebook group, um, and someone was uh, so I'm not going to read it verbatim, um, but it was basically someone who was asking, "How do you react when 
someone asks if you have kids and you say no and then they their response is something like, oh, you're so lucky. But the reason you don't have kids is because you've been struggling with infertility or, you know, you've had miscarriages or whatever. Um, and I just thought that was uh, – that's something that I think a lot of people going through infertility or miscarriage or, you know, any sort of pregnancy struggle um, or, you know, child who dies or, you know, anything like that um, have really – this is something that comes up a lot. Yeah. So, and, and I said to you when you sh- shared this que- question with me, like, oh, I've definitely said that to people. I've definitely been like, oh, good. You're – that's so oh, – like, great, great choice. <laughs> not not even considering. And yeah. I'm sure maybe people have said that to you. Hopefully not me. But, I mean, has that has, – have, has that been a response when someone's like, do you have kids? I don't feel like I've gotten the lucky thing, but it's almost always followed up with, well, do you want kids? <sighs> And it's like – and if it's like from someone I don't really know, it's like I usually just sort of say like, um, I don't know, not sure. Or I'll be like, I'm trying. God, it's nobody's fucking business. But people feel like they can ask I know, for I some know, reason. I know. Um, I mean here's what I will say to anyone who has not struggled with infertility. Don't ask people. <laughs> just don't ask. Yeah. Like – don't ask people if they have kids. Don't ask people if they want kids. Don't ask people why they don't have kids. Don't ask people if they wanted kids. Like just just don't broach the subject. If if you if you're with someone and they know you have kids, let them bring it up. Yeah. Also, I think people who do this is separate from infertility, but nobody should have to justify their choices when it comes totally. to having children. And there are many people who don't want to have kids, and that is a great choice. Yes. And I I hate this pressure on people to have to justify why they don't want to have children. They yes. don't even need a reason. Yeah. I've seen this. There's in the Forever 35 listeners with no kids Facebook group. we got a group for everything. Um, this has come up with people sort of challenging people on their choice to not have children. Um, and that's just like, what is, what is wrong with people? I think circling back to this um, – listener this question you know it is a it is a teachable moment for the other person involved but it shouldn't be on the shoulders of this questioner exactly. to to be the teacher yeah so and i think this goes for many situations um not just talking about infertility is it doesn't need to be on this person to teach another person about IVF. So I think one thing that has been very helpful is educating. I mean, honestly, because of our friendship and listening to your podcast and talking to you is learning a lot more about um, IVF and how I I speak about it. I mean, same like understanding, um, you know, sobriety, let's say, yeah. a friend who's sober and mean and reevaluating how I speak about alcohol, for example. Yeah. I mean, I think that's another really good example. I think a lot of people will be like, why aren't you drinking? Yeah. You know, like if you're out and someone gets a club soda and it's like, that's not your business. No. I mean, and this comes up a lot, I think, with um, feminism, um, especially for white women is educating, like making it making it our responsibility to educate, educating ourselves about white privilege, about racial injustice, about, you know, it's not on women of color, people of color to be our teachers. Mm-hmm. So I think this is something I I don't always succeed at, but I try to remember like it's on 
us to really like be open to what other human experiences are, you know, people are going through and teach ourselves about it. And IVF is not something like I, I had not thought about this. And I, I really regret that I, I'm certain I have said this in conversations to people. Anyway, so, well, you know, you, what, all you can do is move forward and, and learn. Exactly. And we're all always learning. Indeed. <laughs> Did it just get too preachy? This, this, this took a turn. Did it take a turn? <laughs> no, it didn't. It's fine. <laughs> I just thought it was – I think it's interesting. Like you – you know, this person doesn't need to like be the teacher about infertility no, totally. for everybody. And totally. I, um, and that just made me think of so many other situations yep. in which like, you know, it's on us to really like to learn and Yeah. If you want to be the teacher. Tote story. Great. Be be the be teacher. Be the teacher. I mean, I think that some people do find it empowering actually to respond to questions like or, or to respond to comments like, Oh, you're so lucky to say something like well, actually, I've had three miscarriages or I'm not lucky that I've been doing IVF for three years. Like that can also be empowering, but you have to decide that for yourself. Yes. And you and there's no responsibility to do it. But if it's your thing. Yep. Go make for it. it. Your thing. Oh, boy. Let's take a short break. Yes, let's do it. Our guest today is Dr. Kristen Henderson. Kristen is a professor of public health, a natural lifestyle enthusiast, and the founder of Black and Green, an all-natural marketplace by all Black artisans, where products are curated and sold in categories like skincare, home, and bath and body to meet the needs of wellness seekers who want to buy Black and live green. And Black and Green has been featured in publications like Essence, Forbes, Blavity, and Teen Vogue. Kristen is also a yoga teacher and holds a bachelor's degree from Yale University and a doctorate degree from John Hopkins School of Public Health. Kristen, Dr. Yes. Kristen, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. We're excited to get to chat with you today. We, we, I'm a, a big fan of your Instagram. You always leave me feeling way more positive than when I logged, when I logged in. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, that's a part of the goal. Uh, so I'm glad to see that it's working. It is working. So I wanted to kind of maybe start talking about your experience in public health and what led you to really focus on wellness and then start your own business. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like my story isn't that unique in the sense that I wanted to be a physician, um, which I think is a very common story, particularly for what I call little smart girls who grew up in the South. It's like the only jobs we're really exposed to was lawyer and physician. And so for a long time, I thought I wanted to be a physician. Um, and after I went to college, I kind of quickly realized I really don't want to be a physician. That's not really my calling, but I really am interested in the health and the health of environment and the health of certain populations and the health of people. And so I said, well, how do I get involved in health without necessarily providing care to one-on-one -on -one people. And that's kind of where I learned about public health and kind of this broader way of looking at healthcare trends and access to resources and access to healthy foods and how some of these um, patterns can impact people's health and their well-being. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm actually interested in. What, what was your um, doctoral thesis on? So it was on health disparities. So at the time, I was working at Johns Hopkins Hospital. And so there was a point in my life where I thought I wanted to run hospitals. 
And I was really interested in health disparities. And something that I learned while working at the hospital is that everything needs a business case. You have to kind of convince the powers that be and the folks that are kind of pulling the purse strings on why they should care about certain things. Mm. And so my doctoral defense was trying to create a business case on why we should care about cultural competent care and trying to convince the powers that be that investing in culturally competent care actually not only leads to better outcomes, but actually can put some more money in their pocket. That's amazing. Yeah. That's interesting that there's a business component. Uh, like I, I don't think, you know, I, uh, myself as a lay person had thought about that aspect of, of health and hospitals. I mean, I know it's a business, but. Yeah, that's a normal reaction is, um, hospital any anything really is much is it's a lot more business minded than we would like to think and i think with healthcare specifically in hospitals uh, it's shocking and surprising honestly of how much it just runs like any other typical you know big business because it really is it's about margin it's about budgets and it's about return on investment and all of these things that we know matter in regular business but for some reason when we hear hospital we think that it runs differently, and there's a, probably a really strong case that it should run differently, but they aren't. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so you have this fascinating background in public health, and then what led you? <clears throat> excuse me. What led you to starting your own business, and why did you choose this particular area? So I've said that I've been an entrepreneur ever since I was a little kid, um, like literally a little kid. I started my first business when I was probably in the first grade um, selling my McDonald's toys at summer camp. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a smart business. That's genius. Right. <laughs> I was like, I don't want them. Everyone else likes them. I should sell them. Um, and then the third grade, I was selling bracelets. And so I always knew that I was an entrepreneur at heart. And I think what I was waiting on was to kind of find what was my niche and what was the problem that I was trying to solve. And anyone who, you know, is in business, that's really the key. It's like how, what's, what problem are you solving? Is this a problem that people need solving? And so I think I spent my career looking for that problem. Um, and then once I found the problem, I was really, really excited to jump head first and try to solve it. And how did you come to the decision to start Black and Green? What, what was the kind of the catalyst or the inspiration? So it started off with kind of me being on my own wellness journey. Um, and so it started off very personal where I just, became more conscientious about the foods that I was eating. That's kind of where it started. And I started reading the label of my food. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what is all what is all this stuff, essentially, that I'm eating? And so I tried to clean up my diet and only eat things that I could pronounce and kind of went through that whole transition. And then now I'm used to reading labels. So I started reading the labels of all my personal care products and my cleaning products. And I was like, oh, my gosh what's all this junk in this stuff? And so I started paying more attention to the products that I was using um, in the late, and I started reading the labels there as well. And so then it, I simultaneously started reading this book called Our Black Year. And it was a story of a family where a mom was kind of reading about the, um, not the wage gap per se, but really more so about the wealth gap that existed between African-Americans and 
kind of everybody else. And one of the reasons that she thought that this existed outside of all the historical reasons why it existed was also kind of the support of small Black-owned businesses and how they tend to not be in sort of the mainstream areas. And so it can be really hard for a Black entrepreneur to find customers. And so she wanted to make a commitment that she would support Black-owned businesses to kind of her small piece of trying to contribute to the growth of Black entrepreneurship and kind of close this gap in, in this wealth gap. I was like, oh, that's really fascinating. I was like, I wonder if I could do both things at the same time. Can I find all natural, healthy, organic products and also support my community and support entrepreneurs? And so I started trying to find products that intersected both of these worlds. And I was really shocked and, and, and amazed by how many products I was finding, but no one knew these products existed. Mm. Um, And so it started with me just sending lists of products to my friends. And I was like, wait, this is not scalable. (laughs) This isn't like a really good way of doing this. And so that's kind of where the idea was born that people, there's a lot of people out there who are just like me that exist in both of these worlds. They're in the wellness world. And they also want to support and they want their money to kind of, they want to vote with their dollars. And so I was able to create a platform that allowed people to do both. That is awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And do you curate the products? Are you, are you really involved in handpicking everything that goes on yes. the site? I try every single thing that goes on the site. There's not a single product on the platform I haven't tried and loved. And it's amazing because you are an entrepreneur supporting other entrepreneurs. I mean, it really is it's essentially feeding itself. I mean, that's an amazing platform to kind of create. Yeah. That's what was so exciting about it. It was because some people, what else, what happens most people's response to this is I want to find a product. I can't find it. So I create it um, because they feel like the product doesn't exist. But what I realized is actually the product does exist. It's just not in a place where you can find it. It's not Mm -hmm. at your typical retail outlet. And if you don't happen to follow them on Instagram, you would never know that they're there. And so in my kind of evaluation of the landscape, it wasn't a lack of products. It was a lack of knowledge of what products existed. So that's why I didn't go the route of, well, let me create my own product line to kind of meet this need. But because there were so many people who were already doing that. That's really cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so you also are kind of a millennial lifestyle expert. Um, and I know that you you also lead workshops um, about self-care. Can you talk a little bit about those workshops? Yeah, it's really interesting how, how those workshops have kind of changed over time. When I first started talking about self-care, I was not – I did not have a business at the time. I was still working at the hospital at a job I quite honestly didn't like that much. And I was kind of battling what I call like perfection syndrome is where you kind of like lived your entire life following this predestined path and journey that someone outside of you laid out for you and you did everything right. And then all of a sudden you realize that you like weren't happy on this path. And so a part of my self-care journey was really learning who I was, learning what was important to me and valuing my own thoughts and opinions and emotions and feelings more than everyone else's thoughts, emotions, and feelings, and, like, developing healthy habits to help kind of curate this type of environment of balance and peace. And so a, a big part of my workshop particularly is kind of geared around Black women. And, and 
I think our experiences are different. I would love to see maybe not so different as I think, but I know as a black woman, I was really kind of thought, like taught growing up is that there was almost this pride in being tired and this mm. pride in working too hard and this pride and like, I don't have time for myself and I never invest in myself and I'm just here to serve and support everyone else. And so there was almost this guilt that you had to get over to kind of invest in yourself and that it wasn't a sign of weakness, but for a lot of women of color, I think more broadly than black women, that there is this fear that if I take care of myself, I'm somehow weak. Like my grandmother did it without any help and she was able to, you know, like there's sort of these narratives that are passed down that investing in yourself isn't healthy. And so I like did a lot of work of just talking to women and encouraging them Investing in yourself does not make you weak. We have to redefine what it means to be strong um, and helping people feel comfortable with that. And now as an entrepreneur, it's sort of the same type of language of working 24 hours and never taking a break and never stopping and resting should not be the narrative of entrepreneurship. But we have to incorporate self-care practices into building our business. And we need to talk about what that looks like. And what's been the response and the feedback you've gotten from both Black and Green and from the workshops you're leading? I know one that you're leading that I saw in November is called Self-Care Isn't Selfish, which really resonated with me. Yeah. And I, I mean, I it was just shocked that even when I started having conversations about self-care within my community, people who aren't in that wellness world will kind of look at it like, oh, isn't that a privilege? Mm. You know, it, it was almost seen as something that only those who have privilege or those who have means um, can tap into. And I think on some level, that's because of marketing. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that there's a lot of products and yoga and yoga pants and classes that are $45 if I want to go to spend, like, Soul Cycle. I know Soul Cycle's not really that much, but it feels like it's that much. <laughs> it's pretty close. <laughs> and so I think that there's this connection with, having to have access to a lot of money in order to, you know, adopt a self-care practice. And some of the stuff we talk about is like, what are things that you can do that are free? Like yeah. starting a gratitude journal or even a gratitude practice, a person like, I don't, I don't have like the best handwriting and I don't like writing things down. So journals typically aren't my favorite, but a gratitude practice has been really helpful for me and my fiance, where every morning we'll just tell each other three things that we're grateful for. Oh. And it seems, it seems really simple, but it just sets the tone of the day that we're starting the day thinking about what we're grateful for instead of the things that frustrate us. Yeah, I, lo I like that you do it together I with do your too. partner. That's really cool. Yeah, we've talked yeah. about gratitude practices on the podcast before, but I've never heard someone talk about it doing it, doing with it with their partner. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been really like transformational for our relationship because it, it kind of holds us both accountable to start the day with an intentional mindset. And what I've noticed now, what we'll do for each other is if one of us is kind of getting off track and the other one can kind of sense it, we'll just say, hey, what are your things that you're grateful for? We'll kind of like try to stop the negative cycle of like kind of, you know, when you're like downward spiraling, yeah. <laughs> we'll try to stop the downward spiral and like refocus on something that we're grateful for. So like that, that's free. Um, something else that I love that's free that's easy to do for me is that the most thing is like going outside, walking around and leaving my phone behind for like 15 or 20 minutes. Like that doesn't take much 
money. It takes, you know, the luxury of time. But I tell most people, you, I promise you, you waste 15 minutes a day on, on Facebook. And if you don't trust me, download one of those apps that track <laughs> where you're spending yeah. your time. And, and we'll prove it to you. And just clear your brain and, and walk outside. So, like, I think what I'm trying to connect is not only is it not selfish, but you also don't have to be privileged and well off to practice self-care. That's, uh, that's, uh, I don't know. It really resonates with me. I have one more question for you. I wanted to just ask about your motto, which is be happy, be healthy, be free. How did you land on that? And what does it mean to you personally? How do you really live it? Yes. So it's so funny. I just posted about this on my Instagram a couple of days ago that I was being one of my best friends that came up with the motto. And I had the first two pieces of it really fast, which is be happy and be healthy. Because I think um, with with my own personal journey, I really wanted to focus on my own happiness and redefining what that meant for me. So that was really easy for me to figure out. And I quickly understood this connection between health and happiness. And that when I was eating better and I was working out and I was practicing these self-care techniques that I felt physically better, which made me feel happier. So I was like, okay, there's a really strong connection between the physical and kind of the emotional. And so when I was trying to figure out the last piece of it, okay, if you're healthy and happy, what does that ultimately lead to? And I was like, it kind of dawned on me, it's like it leads to freedom. I think that's what we're all after is we're, we want freedom. We want freedom of other people's judgments. We want freedom from our own judgments. We want freedom to kind of exist in the world in a way that feels unconstrained. And so it was sort of this journey, I think. I don't think that you necessarily arrive there, but I think we're always on this journey to be happy, be healthy, and to be free. Yeah, we are. Sometimes it's not as, you know... it's sometimes it's really hard. What do you do when, you know, you're self, you're practicing your self-care practices and, and working on your gratitude and you're still, do you ever still feel in a rut or still feel challenged yes. to return to those words? Absolutely. I mean, I'm still human. Um, <laughs> so I have bad days and bad moments and bad weeks sometimes, just like anybody else. I think the difference now is I'm aware of it. Yeah. So I will feel myself getting annoyed or feeling getting frustrated or just not feeling confident or doubting myself. So I will feel myself going through those kind of cycles. And what I would used to do is probably some unhealthy habit. Like I would go eat a brownie to make myself feel better. Or, you know, I would do something like totally not constructive. Whereas my goal now is to identify why I'm feeling that way and either decide, okay, do I just need to sit in that emotion for a while because it's less about the catalyst of what's making you feel angry. It's more about your desire to feel angry. And so then I have to figure out why do I want to feel angry? Am I feeling the loss of control somewhere else in my life and this is somehow making me feel better? And so now I'll go through this kind of mind map of myself to try to pinpoint what's causing my anxiety or my anger or my frustration. And I no longer put so much stock into those things that trigger those emotions because I know that there's times in my life where that exact same trigger wouldn't have triggered me. So it's not the triggering of itself. It has to be something inside of me. So I think that I just feel so much control over myself that no one or no situation can make me feel upset or frustrated or insecure that it's typically something inside of me 
so even when I do feel it, I don't feel at a loss. I say, okay, Kristen, for whatever reason, do you want to feel sad today? Why do you want to feel sad? Like, what's that about? And let's, like, think of are you going to just sit in it today? And some days I'm like, oh, you're going to just sit in this sadness. <laughs> You'll try again tomorrow. Or other days it's like, I really don't feel like sitting in it today. So let's, like, actually try to get out of it. And so I think it's sort of something I learned with meditating is that you don't have to beat yourself up when you're feeling upset or mad or frustrated. You acknowledge the emotion, try to let it go if you can. And if you can't let it go, then figure out why you can't. Yeah, that's something that is hard to learn. But I think once you kind of wrap your head around it, it is really powerful. Yeah, it's hard to practice and it feels so nebulous until you start mm-hmm. to do it. And I think meditating is probably the easiest place to start because it's very, like, it takes a couple of minutes, at least when I started meditating. It literally took, I, was, I could not meditate for longer than like 120 seconds. But in that 120 seconds, my mind would inevitably wander to something else. And then I would inevitably be mad at myself for my mind wandering. And so it was like, in that two minutes, I was able to see this cycle. I was like, I'm sure I do this to myself all the time. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, if I can just control not my mind meditating, like in for, forcing me to be quiet, but just forcing myself not to be mad at myself when I'm not, like, can I just control that emotion? So when I first started meditating, that's what it was more about for me more than anything else. Is don't get mad at yourself when you don't meditate right. <laughs> you sound so loving. You're so loving to yourself. Like, and very forgiving and like you, you seem like you have a very deep relationship with just kind of understanding yourself and being gentle with yourself, which can sometimes feel so hard to do. Yes. And it, it, it came from being the opposite of myself for so long. I mean, I was an eight type perfectionist um, and I was really hard and really mean to myself for so long. And I realized that it was like it wasn't getting me anywhere. Um, and people reflect the way that you treat yourself. So when I was being mean and hard and judgmental to myself, I found myself around other people who treated me the same way. Those are like good words to live by. Yeah, for sure. Um, Dr. Kristen, where can we find you on the internet? How can we get to black and green? Can you give us all the places we can access you? Yes, absolutely. So our website is www dot blkgrn.com so it's the words black black green but just leave out all the vowels and then on every single social channel that exists we're blk and grn um so we would love to see you there and if you're looking for me i am at dr Kristen h and my name is spelled a little funny it's k-r-i-s-p-i-a-n-h um and i'm on every social channel there and my website is the exact same handle Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. It's been wonderful to get to talk to you. And if you are ever in Los Angeles, we would love to get to meet you in real life and have you on again. Yes, that would be awesome. I was just in LA a couple of weeks ago, so that would be amazing. All right, we'll get you back here. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Okay, thanks, Dr. Kristen. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it, and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad, they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay. Which is okay. I visible know. on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. 
Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving, that sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So, Kate. Yes. How did it go caring for yourself after your kids go to bed instead of doing chores? Okay. So, Dory, I had this like big revelation and I shared it with my therapist and she was very proud of me. And I can't all wait. I want is to make my therapist <laughs> proud, um, which was I really need to shut down. After like after nine o'clock, like if it's not done, it needs to wait until tomorrow. Mm. Dishes, lunches, picking up the house, laundry, work. Because sometimes what I'll do is I'll start working and then I have a hard time yeah. winding my brain down. Yeah. I do a lot of nighttime working. And I kind of realized that I need that time to, to relax and wind down too. Mm-hmm. Like instead of amping up. After my kids are in bed, I think I need to use that to wind down, go to bed earlier, and then try to wake up earlier. You need to be Oprah in the bubble bath with a glass of champagne. I do. I would probably do like a calming drink. Okay. Actually, I will say, not a plug, but Four Sigmatic has this like bedtime (laughs) cacao drink that I have been drinking and it just helps me rest. I'm Again, that. this is an extension of the ad. Um, <laughs> but but I will say that it was going really well and it feels great to like be in bed at 10 Good. o'clock. But I'm not – haven't been consistent. Okay. And I – and I, I'm a night owl. That's yeah. how I was in college. That's how I was in high school in my 20s. I would be up till 1.30 – 
and waking up later. And it's just how my body, the rhythm of my body. And so it's very easy for me to fall back into that habit of like, you know, hammering out work emails at 1130 at night as opposed to. But now you have to get up earlier. So it's not healthy for me. So I need to stick to it. I need, I really need to honor it because it is really nice for me to like wind down with an episode of Bachelor in Paradise. Forgive, Mm. forgive me, but it's the truth. I did watch a little. So anyway, I'm working on it. I know that it makes me feel really good. I just really need to stick to it. And also I'm reading Maisie Dobbs now. So I need that time at the night. The ultimate self-care. Oh, Maisie is so comforting. Were you able to see friends? That was your intention last well, week to figure that out. I saw you. You did see me. <laughs> and not just in a work-related no. way. You very kindly texted me on Sunday. That's right. And said, I'm going to be near you. Do you need me to bring you anything? And, you know, my husband was had been away for a few days. He was still away. I was very lonely and hadn't really left my house. Ugh. And I said, I don't need anything, but I'd love to just see you. And then I came. And then you came and you brought me a People magazine. You know, nothing heals like a People magazine. That is so true. The ultimate salve. Um, Bo was excited to see you. We you, did our You plied bit. in with string cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but other than you, <laughs> we already see each other a lot at this point. <laughs> this is getting a lot. Um, I haven't seen other friends. Um, so I need to work on that. But, the, but you were not feeling well. No, and I was today feeling is terrible. Like an anomaly. It, like it's the, yeah. kind of the first day in weeks that, that I'm feeling okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to be kind to myself. So you can extend that intention, I think, yes. into the coming coming weeks. Okay. I give you Deal. permission. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what is your intention this week? Well, here's, here's an interesting one <laughs> that I'm thinking about. I wrote, examine my relationship to food and self-love. That seems kind of big. That is big. You know, I have last week I was very spirally on our last episode I was I think actually I was depressed Mm. um and just kind of feeling overwhelmed and I have noticed and it's extending into this week like I've been really bad about like feeding myself Mm. like instead of like making dinner I've like forgotten to eat dinner and then I'll just eat pretzels dipped in cream cheese (laughs) Just so tasty, I will say. But doing that at like 10 o'clock at night, like that's not really caring for myself. I should be making myself like – it doesn't need to be a fancy meal, but even just like pasta with Parmesan. Like just just something that's a little Mm, bit – That sounds delicious. Oh, man. It's so – I could whip that up for you. Um, And also understanding my relationship to food and if I – like loving it in a – I just – I think I'm in in my mission to get jacked – my mission is also to have a really positive relationship with food. And that means like to me, I, I was thinking about food this week and like to me, food is two things. It's like fuel for my body to like have energy and to feel good. Mm-hmm. And it's also a thing that brings me pleasure and joy in a way that I can um, like share my love for other people and also feel like f- I love delicious flavors and I love, you know, butter. I, I just, I think food can be a really celebratory, wonderful thing. And it's also like a connector and a, mm-hmm. and a healer. So just thinking about it in that way, as opposed to like food equal bad, food equal good. Like I don't, that's not what I want 
my relationship to be or my children's relationship. Um, so I'm just thinking about like, how can I care for myself with food? And I made a bunch of bone broth. Mm. I'm going to be guzzling that. Mm. Um, how can I enjoy food? Mm. Um, and But not use it as like a, um, a way to deal handle my stress. Because right. sometimes for me it's like, oh, I'm, I need – I'm stressed. I need to fill myself. Yeah. It's a re- – and a, that's an interesting thing that I didn't realize I, I, I've done for a long time. And it's like a late night. I'm stressed. I'm emotional. I'm tired. I'm angry. Whatever. You know, allow – let me, I don't know, eat a jar of peanut butter rather than like finding a way to savor and love peanut butter in mm-hmm. a positive way. Just something I'm thinking about. Don't – I don't know. I got to read that intuitive eating book. Mm-hmm. And that's that's uh, that's a big one. That is a big one. I don't think you're going to figure that out in one week. You don't week. think I'm going to have that down in seven days? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, t- I, you know, you're right. And maybe it's kind of too big of one to put in our little like weekly intent zone. But if, if I was going to make it smaller, sorry I'm going on and on here. No. Um, if I was going to make it smaller, like plan my meals and have them be like things that I really am excited about eating that taste good. That make me feel good. You know who's really good at meal planning? Who? Kima Jones. Forever 35 guests. Oh. Kima Jones. Kima's Instagram is an inspiration on like 50 levels. is amazing. And she posted something the other day that like kind of blew my mind because I hadn't thought about it in this way. But she was like, I am not down with meal prepping. I'm not going to spend a, a whole Sunday like making chicken breasts and roasting vegetables and putting them in containers. But I will meal plan and plan meals that I'm really excited about eating. That is, I think, what I want to do. And I was like, oh. okay, I got to go back and find that because that that speaks to me. Yeah, because you know what? When I when I do that, where I like grill chicken breasts, two days in, I it's get it out. Depressing, it's, and it's also gross. It doesn't yeah, taste doesn't good. Doesn't taste good for convenience. Yes. But I like that. Mm-hmm. Meal planning as, a, as opposed to prepping. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me, I'll, I'm going to marinate on that a little bit too. Okay. Well, Dory. Yes. You haven't shared yours. Well, um, I, will, I will give the abbreviated version, which is that our lease is up and we've been kind of dilly-dallying on what we're doing and we need to figure it out. We need to decide, are we staying in this house? How long are we staying in this house? Are there ways that we can make this house work better for us, um, especially with another human potentially joining the house in April. Um, so that's what, that's my intention for this week to really, you know, we've had some conversations about it. One of them was a fight that we resolved, but like it's become a little bit fraught and I want us to just like come to a conclusion. Mm. So. And do you have a hard deadline by the time you need to come up with a conclusion? clear technically our lease is up at the end of the month okay now i don't we're not moving in eight days <laughs> like that's not happening okay, um so yeah i mean it's just sort of like are we re, are we signing this lease how long are we signing it for what are we asking for because like or do we want to move in six months or you know what do we want to do what are we doing? What are you doing? What are we doing? Um, we've we've kind of like run the gamut of emotions with this house. Like I've gone from hating it to kind of liking it um, while like acknowledging that it has some limitations. And Matt has gone from like kind of liking it to hating it. Oh. Which is interesting. Um, 
And so I feel like we need to kind of come to a happy medium there. That's hard to do sometimes. It is. It is. So. Okay, you'll solve it. We will. You have to. You need a place to live. Exactly. You'll figure it out. And so does Bo. Most importantly, Bo needs a comfortable spot. Bo needs two places for two dog beds. <laughs> is he a high maintenance dog? He likes his creature comfort. Okay. I'll put it that way. He really <laughs> likes to get cozy. Just like his mom. Just like his mom. Only had a cozy mystery to read. I mean, I could play him the audiobook. You should just read to him. Dory. Yes. That brings us to the end of our it does. conversation this week. Mm-hmm. Um, friends, you can call us, 781-591-0390. Email us, forever35podcast at gmail.com. Facebook dot com slash group slash forever 35 podcast the password is serums if you want to get in on that action if you like the show leave us a review on the old apple podcast and tell a friend tell a parent tell anybody and if you really like us um please mention us on social media also we're on instagram forever 35 podcast and we're on twitter at forever 35 pod And you can always find everything we talk about on our website, forever35podcast.com. And Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrir. That's me. Kate Spencer. That's you. Hello. And produced and edited by Sammy Junio, who's over there. Hi, Sammy. Hi. All right. Bye, everyone. See you next week.